2: Boom we're on oh, goals. Today's nice guest game. we've got Frankie boy Portanari How are you brother? Pleased to meet well. Good to see you Pleased to meet yeah. First of all thanks for coming on the show You sent me your book A while ago last yeah. year Fascinating read a man who grew up in London, football fan, became football casual mm. to then running the London UDA. A very powerful man mm. who ran organisations. You've been charged with guns, explos- explosives, a lot of serious stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people who I know, people who's been on the show. You've also been on the brother Sean Atwood's podcast yeah. as well. Good, good old show. Man. Yeah, good, show, good Sean. guy. Shout good out to Sean. Um, watched, is it two podcasts you've done the show? Yeah, with Sean shown now? Shown now, yeah. Um, and they last for a good long time. Your we shows two, or three hours at a time. Um, he but, should have been an interrogator,
1: yeah. Sean. <laughs> he's a good boy. Yeah, so good
2: boy. it's good to have you on. Yeah, good. Thank to you to hear appreciate your story. it's Very fascinating. How have yeah. you been?
1: Okay, yeah. Funny enough, since um, since Sean's podcast, I've, I've I have moved on. Uh, that's nice because he does tend to ask you, obviously, you know what you're going to do next, where you you know where you're for now, and. Uh, I kind of had an idea where I was going. Uh, Wasn't quite sure I was going to get there. Um, But he has been helpful, Sean. He's he's given me some good advice. You know, I've learned a lot off of him. Um, There's other people I've come across via the book. Um, And not, you know, least of all yourself, because Mm -hmm. it wasn't for the book. I wouldn't have met yourself. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm getting into a world of now of doing speaking, um, being a consultant, uh, because especially in England or, or the mainland in general, um, people don't tend to have anybody to go to um, and approach and ask for uh, you know f- factual events that have gone on in the past. Because in some respects they they don't know we exist. If you want, mm-hmm. uh, people would t- understandably tend to go to Northern Ireland and uh, do their research and their uh, their diplomas. You know, I mean, I've had emails before now from university students you know they want to do a thesis and so on and they might ask you but we've tended to be overlooked and that was the thinking behind the book it was one of um you know friends had said if you got knocked down by a bus tomorrow frank that'd be 30 you know 30 odd years of of our history gone out the window and no one's going to has ever documented it and that, that needs to be done and I, I bottled it a few times, you know, I started it, I put it down again and um but eventually I got there. I got there and um I'm glad I've done it now. I've tried to make it as a waltz and all, you know. Um mm. some of it's put me in a good light, <clears throat> some of it's probably not with some people, mm. but it's the truth. It's yeah. just it's just the truth.
2: I think the the name for the books suits it from one extreme to another, from the streets of London to being bang in the middle of the conflict in Northern Ireland. That is something that...
1: Well, also something I'm very conscious of with Sean and yourself. And, you know, I've, I've watched all your, all your podcasts. Um, it's befitting because it, it, that is my life. And when you've talked about having um, an addictive nature, that is me. I, I Clearly, I know that I've got a, an addictive nature. So if I get involved with something... I tend to take it all or nothing to its extreme. So that seemed, mm-hmm. you know, the title of the book from one extreme to another pretty much summed up my life. Yeah. You know?
2: Well, as you know, you watch the show, so I'll always go back to the start with a guest. Let's go right yeah. back to the start. Where you grew up and how it all began?
1: Well, I still live in Kentish Town, North London. Mm-hmm. To be honest, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've always lived in Kentish Town, North London, which is it's part of the Borough of Camden. And um, Camden wasn't a real borough. It was, it was an invented borough. It, it consisted of Hampstead, which was very affluent, um, St Pancras, which was very poor, uh, and then the southern end of it was Holborn, which, again, was quite affluent. And some genius decided, oh, we'll merge all these boroughs together and we'll all be the same. We'll all be equal. Well, I don't know how many people lived in Hampstead and Holborn that had an outside toilet, you know, and had a tin bath nailed up on the wall in the yard so I don't know where we all became equal all of a sudden because I certainly didn't feel the effects of it Mm -hmm. you know um, yeah we were pretty we were pretty poor we were a pretty poor family
2: so how did that affect you then growing up
1: Uh, I think at the time you think it affects you because if you see people with and you're without you you clearly must be envious to a certain degree
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, you, you know I would imagine you must want what they've got um, but I don't subscribe to this business of where later on in life, and you take certain paths, that you you use that as an excuse. I I, I definitely do not subscribe to mm-hmm. that. It would be too easy to you know to be a villain, stand in the dock of a court, and have your brief turn around and say, oh well you know your honour, he came from this deprived background, you know he had holes in his shoes when he went to school. I, I don't subscribe to that. I'm sorry. (laughs) In fact, I think if anything, you use that as a tool to succeed. Mm -hmm. I think you use that as a as a reason to say, well, hold on, you know, I'm not going to stay like this. I'm going to improve my life. I'm going to move on, and uh, and make sure my kids don't have to have a a similar situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I don't. uh, I think that's a weak, and I hear people use it all the time. oh, 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 I can't. You know, I didn't have this, and I didn't have that. Well. No, nah, I, I
2: don't subscribe to that. At all. Mm-hmm. So your teenage years, then Frank, when when did you start getting into trouble? Because I know you were a, a massive fan of football. You loved the football. You're a massive Tottenham fan, but then you became massive in the casual scene as well. Well, I,
1: well, I was a good kid. I mean, I was a good kid. I mean, you know, I went to um, I went to Sandy School. You know, um, I, I, I didn't have any reason to be a bad kid. You know, because I was. Um, and again, this isn't making excuses. But, um, you know, my real father left, I think, when I was about two. Uh, And then then I got a stepfather, and he'd done his best. He had his own problems, but he'd done his best. And I I appreciate him far more now as an adult. Probably wasn't mature enough to, you know, appreciate when I was a child. Um, But I was a good kid. I went to to Sunday school. We got into mischief like every kid, you know, um, where we grew up. We took advantage of the environment that we lived in. So you learnt learnt that uh, they demolished a lot of houses where we lived, for example. So we learnt, well, when people move out, you go over the back wall, you find old furniture, books, um, ornaments, and you took your damn junkie johns down the market and you you made a few quid. And then you learnt the value of lead, copper, you know, cast iron, and you took that down to the the fellow down St. Pancras Way, and he gave you money, you learnt quickly how to make, you know, ends meet. Um, school-wise, I was primary school, bright kid. You know, I was, I was told I was a bright kid. Secondary school, different matter, because you'd, you're would the big boys, isn't you?
2: Yeah, uh, teenager.
1: You're a, you know, with are the big boys. My mum sent me to a school because it was called Sir William Collins. She thought it was posh because it had a sir in front of it. It couldn't have been in a rougher area. <laughs> If he tried. I mean, it was between King's Cross, Houston, and St Pancras. You know, big families, Irish, Scottish, Geordie, Scousers, and Cockneys. You can imagine what the pubs were like. It was rough. It was really, really rough. my mum sent me there, Bless her. You know. Uh it got to the stage where one day you have to have a fight, don't you? I wasn't a fighter. I was not a fighter. I was a comedian, if anything. And um, one day, uh, we're in the changing room. Uh, we're so poor, I didn't even have the full Tottenham kit. I only had a pair of socks. Odd <laughs> socks. Uh, yeah, well, well, right, well, They were the same colour. We weren't that poor. It <laughs> wasn't one home and one away. I mean, I was trying to match them up. And, uh, you know, the kids had the socks, throwing them around. You know, I'm a four-one running around, trying to catch socks. Lands up in the hands of a kid who was uh, better off than me. You know, I've said it I've said it Previously we come back from a school holiday and the teacher said, well, where have you all been? He'd been skiing. i have been in a caravan in Great Yarmouth. You know, he's just one of them kids who had it all. We had everything. He was unlucky. He landed up with the socks. I've jumped on him, got him on the floor, hands around the neck and uh, let go. He's going to kill me, isn't he? Up the school, he's going he's gonna to kill me. Everyone knows he's going to kill me. And uh, everyone's saying, oh, go, go out the other door, go out the other gate. You know, don't, don't leave by that gate. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I'll take the, you know, if he's going to hit me, he's going to hit me. How long is it going to work for, if you like? And uh went out the back gate. He's waiting with all his entourage, you know, cheering him on. And he stood there and he he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And I thought, hold on. He's not got around to hitting me yet, is he? And I thought, fuck it, ain't for a penny. I'll try it. And I hit him, he fell on the floor. Well, the next day, I was the most popular kid in my class. That weekend, Frank, you want to come to the community centre, you know, or a uh, youth club. Uh, or having a, someone's having a party the weekend, you want to come along. You suddenly realised you had a power that you you hadn't possessed before. You didn't feel the necessity. Of course, over the next few weeks, every lunatic in the school <laughs> tried it on with me, mm-hmm. and I had very lost most of the time. But you'd gained a bit of respect. And what that also did was say to me, why would you ever back down again? Now you've stood up once, why would you ever back down to someone again? And Do you think that
2: was the start then, Frank, of the violent past, the, the start of the getting involved in crime, the fights? Because you were a, you know, just a normal boy who loved to go to the football to be then.
1: So where I lived, it was a big Irish community where I lived, and, there, you know, families had three, four brothers. If you fell out with one brother, you was in trouble. You know, and they probably have God knows how many cousins as well. Uh, it wasn't wise... To, 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 to say I'm a fighter. It wasn't good, but I knew I could look after myself. Um, and then I went to I went to football. Um, well we used to play football for a start. Listen, we we're football mad. Football mad. And we didn't have football pitches in them days. You played from one side of the street to the other. Until it got dark. You literally played you know, till the street lights went off, you stayed out and played football. And that and that was that. Um going to a football match God, one if you could afford it for a start. You didn't have football to tell you, did you? You didn't have God knows how many matches on every weekend or midweek. You had to go to see your heroes. Um and even if you did, you couldn't necessarily get in. Because the, the, the crowds in those days were massive. And that was standing, that wasn't seating. That was you know, you I mean I can remember going over Tottenham and getting over there at midday and if you was playing somebody like Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Everton, they'd bring eight, ten thousand 10,000 fans. You might not get into your own stadium because of the amount of support that they had. Um, but when I I, the first, I... I can't even remember the first away, uh, home game I went to, and I'm, I'm quite ashamed about that, but I'd have been about 13, I suppose. at 13. And uh, I, my first away game was Manchester, Manchester City, and we lost 4-0. And... Um, I couldn't go on a football special, but my old man had tickets. He worked for a haulage company. He had free tickets for British Rail. So you had to get the train before. Well, every time you did that, you was the first one into that town. There'd be hundreds of skinheads waiting for you. You know, and you walked out on your own nine times out of ten with your silly little scarf on, you know, different colours to theirs, and you was about. I don't know, ten stone seven, you know, <laughs> and uh, couldn't wait for the, the the special to follow you, like behind you, like you know. And I've gone in anyway. I've gone in the wrong end. I didn't know where I was going, and um, we lost four 0 I say, and I got chased after the game. But at Piccadilly Station, there was all these Tottenham skinheads, and they was all like, "You're right, mate." And you know, I said, oh, "I just got chased and whatever." Oh, come with us. Well, that was great because when I went to school on the Monday, people couldn't believe I'd gone to Manchester on my own. The following week, we was at home, and we walked past one of the Tottenham pubs. All oh, there's all these 20-year-old skinheads going, all right, Frank, how you going, son? All right. I'm giving it all that, aren't I? Swagger. I'm, <laughs> I'm showing up
2: with family mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right,
1: fella. And they- who are they? Uh, my mates, and I was up in Manchester with them last week. You, know. mm-hmm. you start believing it. That's the trouble. You forget you are 14 and a skinny little kid. Mm-hmm so the, so when all the fighting starts you think well, I'm one of the boys you know well you get a few clumps and you think hold on maybe I'm not quite as tough as well mm-hmm. but I did eventually yeah
2: so you it did. started at 14
1: probably yeah because That's young Frank it, because, well it was only in the sense that you you didn't become a better fighter all of a sudden mm-hmm. overnight but I had a lot of bottle I had a lot of bottle so if we went, if you was at an away game and you, you come unstuck. And in those days, you did invariably come unstuck. I think what distinguished you was, did you stand or did you run? And I'd stand. And I got a clump, I got a clump, and that was there. Mm-hmm. But people started to recognise that. People started to see that. And these fellas I know 40 years on, I cannot even tell you their name. I'll tell you where they live. I'll tell you where geographically they come from because... That's how people knew each other. You didn't, I didn't necessarily ask people's name, but you knew someone was from a certain yeah. area. And if you went to Europe, again, you knew, oh, they sound so from whatever part of London it was. I couldn't, you might know their nickname. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily know their, their real name. How many people had that tear up back then? Hundreds. Oh, it was hundreds. It was literally, while you was punching somebody, someone was probably punching you. You didn't know, it wasn't one to one in them days. It was just hundred, literally hundreds.
2: Did you enjoy that adrenaline? Loved Frank?
1: Absolutely loved it. I can't apologise. I, I loved it. <laughs> no, I can't. I loved it. No, I did. I did. Yeah, I think
2: anybody who was involved no, in a casual scene don't um, apologize.
1: I, I um well it, it wasn't the ca- well when we went it wasn't. It was the seventies, mm-hmm. so it wasn't kicking off you yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. Term. Um, What was it
2: called then? Did it have a name?
1: I mean, I mean now they call them firms, don't they? Yeah. Or in them, I think we just called it mobs.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: was a mob of us and a mob of them. Yobs. Gang of us, gang of them. And then it became more sophisticated. It became firms, didn't it? Our, yeah. our firm and them. Mm-hmm. So no, I mean, our, our day, if anything, was skinheads was obviously a big thing. That fashion was a big thing. That went into suedeheads, boot boys, all the various fashions that changed with it. And um, from our point of view, I mean, a, a good mate of mine, he... he uh, we we'd go we might work in the morning, and he'd so you'd have a donkey jacket on, and you'd go straight from work. And it became quite fashionable that people started to wear donkey jackets, and in you know in industrial type boots, if you like. And um, our little mob over Tottenham, people recognised it. We went up north; you couldn't walk out of a station and not people not know who you are because we all had donkey jackets on. Mm-hmm.
2: Did people know you then? Did certain fans have certain styles and certain looks? Did you know, even if they never had football colours on, that they were from a different well, firm?
1: Well, I think, I think uh, fashion did play a part. Some, sometimes fashion, I mean, we we joke about, uh, you know, we say about Northerners, you know, Northern monkeys, like, you know, no dress sense, you know, we're from London, we're the smart boys. Well, you know, in the 80s, you know, Northern boys were very smart, you know, with all the uh, sports gear and, and so on and, stuff that was being oisted from Europe and coming back you couldn't call the Northern a scruffy anymore because mm-hmm. they look smart yeah. you know, there's no doubt about that in fact if anything we didn't some of my pals we didn't look smart but we wasn't necessarily trying to look smart
2: just wanted to fight just wanted to have a fight yeah.
1: so what's the sense of having an 80 pound fucking jump <laughs> and someone wants to catch you you know, we'll, you know
2: yeah. cut
1: my donkey jacket mm-hmm. and I'll go and get another one next week off yeah. the council
2: it's, you because know, you left school Early, and your mum didn't know, is that correct?
1: <laughs> no, she, bless her, no. What no. age were you? Uh, what happened was she came down to school one night and she sat like this and she sat in front of a teacher and he said, oh, well, good evening, madam, you know, you, know, um, oh. you know. She said, I'm here to see my, you know, talk about my son, Frankie, as she called me. And he went, Frankie you <laughs> She went, well, you know, Frankie Portonari. He went, oh, I've never met your son. And of course, as he, as he... She went round the next lot of teachers. No, they never met me either. And uh, I had to say, Mum, where do you think you're getting them chickens from? And, you know, chops and all that. I was working with you butchers in Camden High Street. She didn't realise. She didn't know. And, she, you know, that's one of them things. Isn't it? We were Listen, we weren't well off. And I thought, well, do you know what? My mum had three jobs at some times, you know, cleaning jobs. In the evening, she'd be doing, in them days, I used to call it homework, sticking things together and doing, making things. And uh, I thought, well, it might going to be one less strain on them. You know, I'd rather go out and work and, you know, try and make a few quid. And, and that's, that's, that's how it's done. Yeah, fair play for I think, that. No, you know? And I so we all done it. We had paper rounds. Yeah. We had things like, yeah, you, you had paper rounds. You pulled the stalls out down the market. Any way you could think of making something for yourself to look mm-hmm. like yourself and you
2: know, the, Especially go to the football and stuff as well. You'd have need funds to travel and get Yeah, the club. I mean I
1: was so I was lucky with the train thing with the old man because I'd get I'd get free tickets. Yeah. Um I remember bless her there was a few times because my, my wife's a little bit older than me, not a lot, only six months, but she got a, she had quite a good job in an office, mm. you know. And I'd say, uh, I'll meet you at Kentistown station, babe, and all that, and she'd go couldn't lend me some money because you're going to go football yeah. <laughs> you know? so, mm-hmm. so I was I did get a subsidy up of her if you like you know? so what age
2: like, did you get involved heavily in the casual scene because one day you get the jail twice in a day how the fuck does that happen Frank
1: no <laughs> no nah, nah, what it was it was in the 70s and um, we were playing Arsenal you know clearly our traditional rivals and they all come out the road all their boys you know hundreds of them come up the road we, we outside the pub as they went a turn to go into the stadium, uh, it all kicked off and uh, I, got, I got involved, obviously. And I got nicked. I got nicked. Got taken down to uh, Tottenham Police Station.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media and entertainment
1: And uh, anyway, the game's over and we're coming out. Didn't know the score. People are walking down Tottenham Road and I just happened to say a fellow, like, Here mate, what was the score? He said that we lost five nil and I got nicked again. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously a different copper on this occasion and he he, he, he took me back into the station. Of course it's the same desk sergeant, wasn't it? And he, he looked at me, he said, I've had you once today, and I already I said, "Yeah, mate, you have yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and fair play, he put me in a cell, give it an hour, let the crowd settle, and uh, and he let me go. Like you know, so uh, but yeah, no, I think it was twenty five pound fine,
2: yeah. which
1: it was an M day's money. You know, you didn't get earn a lot of money, so it was enough to sting ya. But it it wasn't that bad. A mate of mine got a fifty because he'd been nicked he'd been nicked previously. But mm-hmm. that was the start of the getting nicked at the football. Yeah.
2: What was your biggest tear up? The one that stands out in your mind?
1: Oh, I I would probably say Millwall. I, I would probably say Millwall. Um, There'd been a programme. Um, I think it was Panorama, and they they'd done a, a, a build up to it. It was the first Tottenham had been relegated, second division. Millwall was in the second division, and they, they'd really built it up um, between us. I mean, for weeks leading up to that, if we bumped into each other on the underground at Euston or Kings Cross or St Bancras, there was a few little tear-ups like, you know, and you wait till you come over to Millwall, you know, bandit country and all that like, and, you know. And Boxing Day, Boxing Day, and I've been to a party, funny, I've been to a Christmas party. I never left this party till five in the morning. You think no one's gonna to go tomorrow? No one's gonna get up and get. Because it was like a dinner time kickoff. Everyone's gonna cry off, you oh, know. I was drunk. I pissed. You know, whatever. Eight o'clock. My mate Bill Billy Kearns, He uh, he's come knocking on the door, and he he took the works van. He nicked the works van. On the back of it, there's pickaxe handles. There's shovels. There's all sorts. I said, Bill, you gotta be fucking joking, ain't you? I'm half pissed. You know, I'd done a bottle of Capsie Morgan's rum the night before. I said, Bill, more to the point, where's everyone else? There's only me and you. No, 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 he said, we're going to go down to Old Street and Oxton. We're going to pick a few of the boys up. We're going over to London Bridge. Oh, great. He said, and we're going to drive down um, Old Kent Road. There's a pub there, Millwall pub, uh, the Canterbury. We're going to go down there, Frankie. We're going to attack this pub. All right, all sounded quite reasonable, you know. But we got as far as London Bridge. The old bill pulled us over. But, uh, so we got over the mill. It was a lot of verbal people trying to climb over fences to get each other. But after the game was the worst I've ever seen. It was, I mean, I see a fella put a screwdriver through a fella's cheek. You know, I know the fella had done it. And even I sort of looked at him thinking, was that necessary? Was that really, is that just not a little bit over the top? People started uh, kicking walls over, throwing bricks across the road at each other, uh, wooden fencing. Some people were hitting each other with a wooden fencing. People pulled a, a metal railing down and were throwing the rails like it was spears across the road. And I thought, fuck this. I'll be honest with you. I think we give a good account of ourselves. But I was glad to get home. But at the end of it, I was glad to get home and get in the pub and have a pint because it was just mental I've ne- I'd have never seen nothing like that Um but I but was double double tough middle. I mean you didn't go over there and take liberty you know what I mean yeah they've
2: got a, they've got a massive name I'm sure I had a good pair of mine I doubt
1: it uh, afterwards yeah it's yeah. weird
2: isn't it because I've had big Baz Barrington on and he's a big fucking nutcase and he's um we spoke about like the casual scene back in the day nobody mingled from certain firms but nowadays like I just picked you up from the train station there and you mm. you walked out with it's a, it's like a fun man. You just know these boys yeah, that are yeah, ready yeah. to go. You've got yeah, Chelsea yeah, boys, yeah. Millwall boys, because you you were up here for the old fun game, which has been actually called off for. Well, it's all That it wasn't yeah.
1: my mate. Listen, I could have had a box over there tomorrow. Yeah, some good friends, you know, offered me a box and that because I've been up here previously a few mm-hmm. weeks ago for a funeral, a very good friend of mine, Boots, and Martin. Um, I'm Tottenham. Listen, that's my team, Tottenham. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me between Rangers and Celtic, I'm going to be Rangers. Yeah, of course. It's just, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. The good thing about the Rangers thing is, it does bring a lot of us together. So I'll be in a pub in a couple of hours' time, and there will be Millwall, Chelsea, West Ham, Tottenham. So it does have that effect. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's good. There's still that little bit of. You know, I'm getting on it. I can still, <laughs> I went over Tottenham the other, the other week, a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine treated said, through a meal and he's, he's box and that, you know. And it's like, there was not, it was a cup game, there's 9,000 Norwich fans. I've seen that, you yeah. Know, and, um, you know, they've probably never felt so confident that they can walk around Tottenham High Road. Well, they wouldn't have fucking done that years ago. You would mm-hmm. have got 900 of them. Mm-hmm. Never mind 9,000. It's changed so no the fact, old, So it? the old memory comes back and you think, fucking liberty <laughs> fucking walking up the aisle <laughs> don't think, you think uh-huh. hold on what are you what are you yeah. doing what are you that's just your old memories it's isn't ingrained it? you, that's but your Frank. own memories coming back do you, you miss know? it yeah I had some great times mm-hmm. I've had some fantastic listen it's camaraderie isn't it it's between you learn who your mates are don't you you know who's going to go if you say come on it's going through that turnstile you, people are going to follow you through that turnstile or they're not. I'll run. Right now, yeah. my good pal Bill, he said to me, Frankie we're going near end." He's about three, four years older than me. I went, I went through that turnstile. That was it. There was no, no ifs sort or of buts. You didn't know what was going to happen on the other side of it. But you, you one night he used to have a he used to have a Rover three point five coupe, tinted windows, gold stripe down the side, and this was in the seventies. Shaggin' wagon.
2: <laughs> yes, I called
1: it that. And uh he said Frankie he said uh, they'd done they done this panorama thing or World, well, I forget what it was called, I think it was panorama Frankie said, We're going over Millwall's pub, he said I'm gonna go and do the I'm gonna go and do the fella Harry the because 'cause he'd been interviewed. Where's that, Bill? I didn't even know where it was his pub. Temple Bar it was called, over Woolworth Road. Proper bandit country. I followed him blindly, five of us. Got in this car, go over to Warworth Road parked up. Probably about a Wednesday. We walked into this pub. It was absolutely banged out. This pub. The women looked violent. I mean, they looked. And you thought, "Fuck." We might as well have walked in wearing Tottenham kits, because they clearly knew we were hostile. They clearly knew we weren't off the manor and we li- we didn't get a drink. We fucking walked in. Fucking around Walk back out again. You know, when you want a cart to start the first time, you think, please. please, please. <laughs> now, when you get back over Waterloo Bridge, you say to yourself, a fucking liberty, won it. We went over there, no. went in there. Mm-hmm. No, least, Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But that was my power. If he mm-hmm. said, that's what we're doing, you know, that's, that's what I did. And mm-hmm. as I say, you did, it was a massive adrenaline
2: rush. It was. Yeah. You it got moved. a chopper one time. And went into a pub to do people? Was that football? related? Well, that or was, was personal.
1: It? No, 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 no. No, that was that was personal. What happened there was I was working uh, in a theatre at the time and I said to my wife, why don't you come down after work and uh, we'll go i a couple of pints and we'll uh, go to a meal." And she passed this community centre, which it wasn't a black community centre. It was, it was mixed, but a lot of black fellas used to hang about outside. And it was winter. And um, She had black leather boots on, a black coat, black on. And uh, apparently one of them turned around and went, oh, oh, here she comes, the Nazi lover. Now, I don't know whether that was meant to imply because she had all this black on and the black leather boots. Or he knew me because I was quite right wing at the time. So she's told me and I just I kind of brushed it off because I thought if I make too much of a fuss, she'll be watching me like a hawk. Everything I do, every time I go out the front door she would be thinking, where's he going? So I let it go. So I had to go to work the next day. Tottenham weren't playing. Went not done a few hours. It was in the days when the pubs used to shut about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I went over there at 12, had a few drinks. When I got something to eat. And I went into an hardware shop. I think you call it an axe, chopper, hatchet, small type thing. Anyway, so I bought this. Locked up where I worked. Went back in the pub, had a couple of more pints, called a cab, went up to my local pub, a uh, gypsy queen. Walked in, and it was two black fellas in there, which were quite rare, to be honest. And I'm not suggesting they was even the ones responsible, but I thought the fucking message is going to get back one way or the other. So I walked in, threw few of the boys, all right, Frank, how's it going? Well, you know, usual thing, excuse me, and I pulled it out, fucking smashed it into the into the bar she said well I'll find out had a she was my girlfriend at the time she's my wife now and I said well I'll find out who's had a go at my fucking bird I said I'll fucking do him with this right. oh, everyone just sort of partied and the governor she was called Rosie Ephron at the time she'd come around the saloon bar <laughs> and she's trying to get the fucking thing and she took me around the other she's, uh, bless her she got me a large uh, rum and black that was my drink at the time right? my back. but the word's gone round didn't it the word's gone round the manor so the following Saturday, uh, it should be a cafe round the corner, Burt's Cafe, round the market. All the Blackfellas used to stand outside the betting office. So as I come round the corner to get a bit of breakfast before I went over Tottenham, one of the Blackfellas shouts, "Hey, Well, All right, Frankie said, no you there and, like, and all that, and all that." I said, "Listen, you fucking mob behave yourself!" I said, "There'll be no need for it, will there?" And that was it. It it, it, it blew over, like you know. And I never did find out who who said what they
2: said, Mm -hmm. but you
1: know,
2: things can escalate, but Frank, how fast.
1: Yeah, and again, it was an element of. It's not rational. It's not something I would have normally considered doing, but I knew you protected Frank. I knew. Oh, just a bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I knew they knew who she was. Mm-hmm. And more to the point, they knew who she was going out with. I couldn't have let that go. I couldn't have swallowed that. Y- mm-hmm. You had to make, if you was going to do it, you had to make a big, big statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would have to walk around your, where you live, otherwise, would you, in them days? And know? that was
2: you just making your statement. If it goes yeah. any further, yeah. then I'll take it further as well. That was it. I mean, thank God,
1: you know, it only took one of them two fellas to have implied it was one of them. And then God knows, that yeah. that might have escalated. Yeah, you. I mean, I'm glad, it, I'm clearly glad yeah. it
2: didn't. Your Charles with
1: mother.
2: Yeah. yeah so when did things start escalating fast for you? How did you start getting the reputation that you got in London from the casual scene? What age were you? I'm not. Do you know the
1: honest truth? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not so sure. I, I, I did in the sense that you know, I can. I can reel off lots of names to you. You know, if you name a, if you name a firm from a football club. I can pretty much reel off names associated with that club or with that firm, right? Where I lived, I was known. Where I lived, I was known. So eventually you you mix with other people, you drink in other people's pubs. So, for example, where we lived in Kentish Town, you had, um, you had the Northern Line. So you'd have Camden Town, Chalk Farm... Hampstead, Size, but it'd go up to Collingdale, Burnt Oak, whatever. And they had their own little firms. So after a game, you might get on the same train. You'd meet these people. So you started to become a bigger firm of fellas who started going together. So it wasn't exclusively Kentish Town or Camden Town. We call it the three towns. It's Kentish Town, Camden Town and Summerstown. Summerstown was, a I say, a double tough place. And... What used to happen is, is obviously all the trains used to come into Kings Cross and Pankhurst and Euston. So they would drink in and around Somerstown. Town. So we'd drink in those same pubs. So every weekend, you was guaranteed a punch-up with these Northerners, Midlanders, whatever. So even normal, even Northern firms got to know you eventually. I mean, I've, I've been 50 years of age, been up in Manchester, been in a pub, and a fella's suddenly gone you were in London mate and I've got shit. town you know oh we had a tear up well <laughs> you know we had a tear up in, outside the coffee house or, the, or, the, or and people remember you know people remember Um, so I've never set out I've never set out to go I want to be a top boy you know far from it I'd, I've never wanted that I'd rather be in the background Um, I'd rather go and do what you've got to do and get away with it you know and but you do. If you keep, you know, if you're doing the same for thirty odd years, people eventually do get to know you. They do get to recognise you. People will ask, "Who's he?" Originally, it might be, "Are we from Kentish Town?" And for years, people used to say to I me, mean, "Frank from Kentish Town." No one knew my surname.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No one knew my surname. But no, I never set out to have that kind of reputation. But it, it, it did grow over the years. Yeah, and funny enough, it's grown more now because you do talk to each other. because you will go to each other's Mm -hmm. pub you will have other things you're interested in and you socialise together Um, but no it wasn't it wasn't Mm -hmm. um, a conceived idea oh I must be one of the top boys Mm -hmm. no far from it so
2: your life to be running the London Brigade UDA how how did that journey start for a London boy to be involved in the conflict in Northern Ireland what was that progress for you to start and then It, it
1: it was because when I was a young man 16 um Working class boy, very idealistic, and uh, some young people knocked on my door one night. They were from the Young Socialists. They talked about working class people. I didn't know what working class, middle class well, I couldn't tell you. I knew Labour was red. I knew Conservative was blue. Um, A naive view of the world, if you like, at the time. But they sounded like they made sense. They sounded like they knew what they were talking about. Good people. And I went to a couple of meetings. turned out it wasn't just the Young Socialists. It turned out it was the um, Workers' Revolutionary Party. Now, that took on a whole different meaning because they had a world view. Mine was a local view. You know, I'm thinking of my own local working class people where I live. Not what's going on in Chile or fucking, you know, South America or Africa or somewhere else. Um. But... And eventually, I, I couldn't identify with them. I couldn't. And what, what, what was the turning point for me was they—they they seemed to be very critical about the British Army, and they were also clearly very much into Irish politics, which I didn't understand. I had no idea. Almost <coughs> nine out of ten of my mates where I live were Irish, so I was always in and out of their houses. I knew their mum and dads. Uh, my my concept of Irish people was they own pubs. There's some great fights outside Irish dance halls. When we were kids, we just like, enjoy watching that. They got in, the, in and out the back of Murphy's vans every morning down Camden Town to go to work. A simple view of the world. That's how I saw Irish people. I didn't see Irish people as a threat to me, personally, my family, my community, or, any, or anybody else. But that's how naive I was at the time. All I knew, so when these people kept saying, oh, the IRA this and blah, blah I think, what the fuck are you talking about i ain't got a clue what they're going on about um and eventually i kind of moved away from that and then one night purely by chance i was in a pub a fella came in still a good friend of mine to this day worked down in um, smithville meat market and uh, he was right wing All i no more knew what, what right wing was, was what the left wing was and he started he gave me a leaflet he started talking about things and i kind of identified with it a little bit more and uh he invited me to a National Front meeting in a hotel in King's Cross. I clearly I could identify with these people. They were working class people. They weren't middle class. They weren't using posh words and uh, terms. I did, clearly didn't understand what they were talking about, but they were patriotic. And it was and it it clearly brought out uh, a patriotic side of me that I didn't know that I had. Nothing to do with race. Purely to do with Britain. You know. Everything good for Britain, great. And I could identify with it. And I got involved. And this is the start of the journey. This is the... Well, if you take a look at the football, the extremes of the football, this is where it moved into the extremes of the politics. What age were you? Probably then, I suppose, about 20, 19, 20.
2: So again, still young?
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, and still naive. Still naive, if I'm honest. You know, I don't pretend to know. I didn't pretend to know it all, and I still don't now. Um, but loads of people suddenly got involved at the football, pubs I went to, it became music, the music scene. You, you tended to either be left or right. Um, and again, I suppose it what your mates are doing, the camaraderie, and I got involved. I got. I I went to demonstrations. I sold newspapers. um, Went to meetings, and typical me, the extreme. (laughs) You know, I landed up being the National Front organizer at Camden, where I lived. Now that's that's predictable. That's predictable. That that that's how I'm going to land up. And then from there, I learnt more about. Irish politics, we met people from Belfast, we met people from Scotland. Uh, And things get personal, don't they? Because suddenly someone's brother's been shot or someone's uncle's gone to prison. And you you stick by them, don't you? Then you start to stick by them. And and fast forwarding, it it got to a point where listen, we were just cockneys. We're just, you know, ordinary fellas. But, you know, we'd had bombs in London. You know, I vaguely remembered the post office tower being blown up, the restaurant at the top of that.
2: Uh, With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com.
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I
1: vaguely knew about the Birmingham pub bombings. Things started to get more, you know, we became, I became more educated. And so I, was, I was reading books. I was reading magazines. Um, there was no social media then, obviously. But, I, you know, I'd watch the news. I'd watch different programs. and And this is really fast forwarding, if I'm honest it got to the stage where we thought, fuck this, we need to do something about this. But then how'd you do anything about it? You don't know where to, where do you start to do something about it? And what it would be, there would be, um, there'd be troops out parades, for example, up in um, Edgware Road, up to Kilburn, Cricklewood, Kilburn. Every parade had had a Scottish Republican band at the front of it, you know. And so we'd attack the parades. So you started to get a bit of a reputation then for attacking these parades. The Irish Freedom Movement used to have the anti-interment parades in Holloway Road, which in North London, and again we used to attack them. And the police get to know you as well, same as they know you at football. They start to get to know you. But again, we were frustrated because we were thinking, well, hold on, you know, we're attacking a parade; they're blowing us up. Not exactly equal, is it? You know, we need to fight back. We we need to do something back. Well. Where do you go to do that? We weren't weren't Orangemen. We weren't apprentice boys. We weren't even Rangers fans, come to think of it. Um, And we approached somebody. We eventually approached somebody uh, who was in the Orange Order. We weren't even welcome at their parade. They used to actually send us away from their parades. They didn't like us. Why? Uh, I can understand partly because I think they thought most of us were right wing, which most of us were, if I'm honest. And plus, we were foot lunigans. And that's not a good image. I understand it. But so we're still naive, still learning. I can understand from their point if you didn't put them in a the good light. Equally, <laughs> equally, you'd get some of these people encourage you to attack the other parades, but then disown you. You know, I learnt that. I learnt that quite quickly. Getting used. Yeah. So anyway, we approached a fella who was who was from Northern Ireland, and he was a conduit. He was a link, if you like, to the London UDA. And he he said he could give us an introduction to the chap who ran the studio. Find out he was a Scots fella so me and another fella got to meet him thoroughly unimpressed stunk of vodka and I thought if you think I'm putting my mates under your control forget it that's, that's that ain't that meant for a start so we arranged to meet him again and we met him at a location and during the course of the conversation we had a noise outside the door. A bit similar to this situation if you had a door out there. And funny enough, one of the fellas you just met earlier, he got up and went outside to see what what, what was going on. And there's these two skinheads standing outside the door. And he said, who the fuck are you? Oh, we're, we're, we're Joe's minders. And he said, you ain't much fucking good out there, are you? We could be killing him in here. And we thought, hold on, this is a bit of a fucking 2 bob set up. This, this don't seem right. The bloke we originally met, we said, Listen, we're not, we're not having anything to do with this fella. We'd rather go our own way rather than listen to him. You know, he's a drunk, simple as that. Uh, my mates had made it clear, Frank, if we're going to fall behind anyone, it's going to be you. And I said, Well, I'm not qualified, am I? I don't even know what's, what's what. So we made an agreement to get rid of this fella. And the original bloke we met couldn't wait to be in charge. He couldn't wait. And we said, You know what? Let him have all the grief. We'll give the impression we're just following behind him. So a few things happened over the next few months. We followed him and we went up to Manchester. coach load of us went up to Manchester. There was, um, there was an Irish Republican parade up in Manchester. Moston uh, Marts, it was called. And our left-wing opponents, which at that time was, was called Red Action, we knew they'd be there. So we thought, great. Two birds with one stone here. We can have it out with red action and this parade. And we got stopped just outside Stockport by the police, completely surrounded on this coach. When the police said he was in charge, this fellow was over to say that I was in charge. And we thought, hold on, what's all that about? So a few weeks later, we had a meeting and we thought, we'll test him now. We'll see exactly how militant he's prepared to be. So a friend of mine came along, and uh, he had a catalogue of various weapons, and we knew people from the army. And we basically could have had anything we wanted out of this catalogue. So he puts the catalogue in front of him and said, here, you know, we can have this. Good work, he said, good work, he said, yeah. Talk to Frank about it. And that, again, that fellow you met earlier, he went, hold on, you're supposed to be in charge. If we take a dive, you take a dive. We knew he wasn't up. We could see he never had the bottle for it. And a, and a little while after that, we went over, he lived over in Lambeth, South London, and we drove, five of us drove over, phoned him, no mobiles in them days, phoned him up from a phone box, told him he was in a certain pub. He came through the door, three of the boys were at the bar, two of us were sitting down. He came up and, uh, he said, oh, before you say anything, he said, I'm standing down. I said, no, you're fucking not. You're being stood down. Been, you know, don't make it sound as like a voluntary action. No, you're, you know, and in all fairness, he never argued because he looked at the company that was standing at the bar and I don't blame him. And uh, he said, fair enough. And I'm glad because one of the boys had a saw no shotgun and we would have shot him. We would have shot him. Not kill him. It had been done to make a statement to everybody else. Listen, If we're going to cripple him, what do you think we're going to fucking do to the rest of you who don't fall into line? And what do you think we're going to do to the enemy, so to speak? And that sent out a clear message to people all over the country. You know, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, Coventry, Sheffield. Everywhere there was a unit or a a brigade. We were the upstarts. We were the Cockney upstarts. And it was, who the fuck are they? They're not Orangemen. They're not Apprentice Boys. You know, they're they're not even Rangers fans. Who are these upstarts? But we made a statement. We said, look, you know, we're not having this. We're not having fucking bombs going off and and so on. And that's
2: how how it started. How many people were involved with the London UDA?
1: Well, I'll explain this bit. The the, the UDA has two structures. Well, there's more than two structures. I mean, you've got the structure and it's the UDA itself, which at the time was a perfectly political organisation. The military side of it was, was the Ulster Freedom Fighters. UFF wasn't legal. Uh, but it also had the LPA, Lawyers Prisoners <clears throat> Association, which was clearly there to support lawyers prisoners and their families. So it that kinda of depended which niche you was in, which you was part of. So you could you could be sworn into the UDA if you like. That didn't turn you into a gunman. You know, that didn't necessarily turn you into a militant. You was part of a bigger organisation. So each group and if you like had its own group of people. So, clearly, the more militant side of it, the Ulster Freedom Fighters, was a very small group of people. A very small group of people. But, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, they had, they had the autonomy, if you like, to act how they saw fit. Um, so, in regards to actual numbers, that's difficult to say because there was a lot of support as well. Um and I'm a bit loath to say how many people there were mm-hmm. because the authorities, security forces, one of the better way of putting it, yeah. may think that there was so many I might be telling you and them that there were more. I yeah. don't I don't necessarily want them mm-hmm. to know that.
2: Yeah. So when the conflicts because they started in the 60s the conflict with Northern Ireland
1: well the late 60s I yeah. mean it's been a long I mean historically it's been an ongoing yeah. thing hasn't
2: it so a- we, what was the, your purpose then for the London UDA to what was it you were trying to achieve
1: I think in simple terms in simple or simplistic terms was clearly to keep Ulster British um, and plus there was an element of well you, you know you kick me I'll kick you you know, and, and, and you're you're blowing up my. I mean, I live in London. You're blowing my city up. I do not take to that too kindly.
2: So to retaliate I mean? as well with you was.
1: Yeah, and I, I and have... I think if the thing is, it's not. I think I think the bitterest is to swallow. I can recognise and respect somebody else's calls. If you feel the desire to come and blow my city up, fair enough. As long as you don't mind. That if I come face to face with you or any of your supporters or anybody that I perceive to be supporting you, then they're fair game. I think the most bitterest pill to swallow was the amount of English people, left wing English people, that supported them because they were everywhere you were. You know, you could work with them, they'd be in the pub. That's the difference. I probably hated them more than the actual than Irish Republicans. It was people that. We were left-wing people that supported them. I think that was my biggest hatred of all, to be perfectly honest.
2: What's a what does a loyalist mean to you to you, Frank?
1: Well, certainly loyalty. I mean, I don't think it should just be applied to to that scenario. I mean, loyalty is the biggest thing to me. There's no doubt about that. Whether it's family life, you know, friends, what you know, people you work with to a certain degree, your employer to a certain degree, mm. you have a certain degree of loyalty. You know,
2: what kind of intelligence then to be involved, especially in London? what kind of intelligence was on yourself? Or especially when they started getting involved in like explosives and guns, was there a lot of intelligence where Well, you were getting... I mean I,
1: I mean, I lost count of how many times I was followed. I mean, I'd be out on a social occasion with my wife. It got to a stage where she was literally writing down car registration numbers. You know, we, oh, you knew you was being followed. If you had people coming from Northern Ireland for a weekend, you was definitely followed. Definitely followed. Um... And uh, there was an occasion where I'd come out the front door of my house and there was a Sainsbury's opposite, there was a car park. And it it probably wouldn't be so noticeable now, but there were two fellas sitting in a car. And I thought, two fucking blokes going shopping together? When does that ever happen? It just didn't look right. It didn't add up to me. And I thought, that's special. That's got to be special, Brian. That's... And I, and I went to the shop to buy a newspaper, and when I came out, I purposely stood and looked in the window where you've got jobs available and things for sale, so that I could see the reflection. And one of them was on the other side of the road, and I thought, well, that's definitely them. And I, I went back to the, to the door, and all of a sudden, a fella came up to me, in a, in a, and he, he clearly looked like he was, you know, the, he, was, he was the old Bill. And then suddenly the other one appeared and he said, can, uh, can we come in another word? And I said, they ain't coming in my house. And uh, they had the car there. We got in a car. And they was military intelligence. They weren't even a special branch. They was military intelligence. And they told me chapter and verse of something that had happened. They basically said, we know you're targeting uh, somebody in Manchester who's a, a Republican who's using the disguise of collecting money for Republican prisoners. Uh, we know, you know where he works, where he drinks, his car registration, you know, where he lives, et cetera, all this information. We know that you've had people watching them. Um, we know that two ex-army fellas are basically going to take this fella out and your part in this was to supply the guns. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it they told me that I'd been in a pub on a Saturday night someone very prominent from Belfast had been over that they'd that I'd gone on the Sunday morning to a friend who had a paper stall picked up the weapons off of him drove to the pub had keys to the back of the pub went up went into a room where two people were sleeping opened the door put the bat everything they told I couldn't believe it and I you know bit of bravado on my part. I mean, well, nick me then. Go on in. Nick me. You know, arrest me. And I thought, you ain't going to do that. Because if you was going to do it, I wouldn't be sitting in the back of this car, would I? I'd be sitting in the police station. And they were quite open and said, listen, we'll give you enough rope and you'll hang yourself. Well, clearly that it's happened, clearly didn't well, it? it. Did. Yeah, Eventually yeah. it mm-hmm. happened. But that should have, that should have been the, the warning. That should have been, well, if they know that much in that much detail, and I'm probably leaving bits out, you know, for the, for the sake of time, but, if they know that much, that was the point, that's the point, I should have said, fuck this. Yeah.
2: Were you ready to kill, and be killed, for your beliefs, Frank?
1: i look at it this way, it, it took me a while, to, it took me a while to dawn on me, what, what life was like, whichever side you was on, the pressure that people were under, you know, and, I've got no doubt in my mind, if I'd have lived in Belfast, I'd have landed up dead or doing life. And, and I'm quite open about this. I'm glad I got caught. I am seriously, seriously glad I got caught. Because, <coughs> excuse me, when I first got arrested, I was, um, it, I was on Cat A, you know, and uh, in Winston Green in Birmingham. And my first visit with my wife was, was behind a screen. So my my daughters were sitting there, you can't hold their hand, you can't comfort them, they're crying their eyes out. You're like a raging lunatic. You just can't. And uh, what I didn't know at the time was a screw on the way into the, into the um, prison had stopped my wife and her sister and asked who was who's, who's uh, Portonari's wife. And my wife assumed he was going to be helpful. And he had a short sleeve white shirt on, you know, prison shirt, and he had a big shamrock on his arm. And he turned around and blatantly said to her, "You want to hope he doesn't get bail, because if he does, he's going to get shot in the head." Now this man's wearing a uniform with a crown. He's supposed to be there to look after prison, not threaten their. What? Well, she never told me this. <clears> Thank <throat> she told me this afterwards. Anyway, after so many, probably a couple of months, I finally got an open visit with her, and it is like this: it is literally this and two screws sitting there. It's like being in a soap opera you feel like you're performing for them almost <coughs> excuse me and um, I turned, I said to my wife I said I'm I'm, I'm glad I've been caught cool. she said what do you mean how, how can you want to get caught cool? and I said to her babe where did you think this was going to end I said you cannot be in charge and you cannot have guns wrapped around you and not use them and of course cool. so I knew what was coming she said are you telling me you'd have shot someone I went well <coughs> and that's typical. Mm-hmm. because you're you, you know you're the husband of you're her husband and the father of her
2: kids mm-hmm. but I'm not sure what she thought yeah it's um, looking for for me Frank as you probably know What's it's now politics I don't really give a fuck about it's um, <coughs> for me I'm not interested whether who's left wing or right wing yeah. for me I see human beings as humans but mm. I understand I've had Johnny Adair on and he says mm. that if he grew up a mile down the road fighting for another cause but for looking out did you ever feel pressured that it was going too far that you couldn't get out
1: no no it was a commitment I'd made a commitment I'd <coughs> excuse me I took an oath you know I took an oath I took it quite serious and um, the trouble is for want of a better way of putting it your targets um, you becomes wider because now it's like well who's eligible for this is it, it it might start where you'd say well well anyone that supplies weapons to them anyone that supplies information to them then it becomes anyone that supports their paper you know sells their papers outside train stations anyone that goes on their parades you become less discerning about who you want to do harm to and you know, there was a time when we we met someone who uh, was was trying to well, we think he was trying to sell us hand grenades, and we actually had an army friend go along and, and verify that they were legitimate hand grenades because you, you can only try one once, can't you? You know, yeah, it's not, fra- yeah. you can't use it again, can you? So we wanted to know that if you if you buy a crate of them, they're all going to work within reason. And he discussed he discussed. Um, the timing, you know, the pins on them. We had someone we had someone that identified a, a, an old quarry that we could go and test. And this bloke wouldn't, didn't want to do that. And we thought, hold on, mate, it's a lot of money involved here. Why would you not want to? Uh, and, and not long after that, a friend of ours realised he was being followed. And all of a sudden, this bloke, oh, yeah, yeah, take as many as you want and try them. And we thought, hold on. Years later, when I was pulled by, on a different occasion when I was pulled by military intelligence, the subject of grenades come up. So we had done right to walk away from that. Was that a setup? I think that was. I think that was. Now, let's say we got one box of these hand grenades. What the fuck would we have done with them? What havoc would we have. I make no bones uh, about so
2: it. So much blood. I'd have fucking.
1: More, listen, the Camden Irish Centre, Kilburn. These Irish centres had, had had, you know, uh, fundraisers and all. Do you think at that time I'd have had any qualms about walking in there and throwing a grenade in it? I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have thought. Tw- um, it's a horrible thing to say now. I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But that was the height of that that commitment. That I'm in charge here. I have got to show that I'm, um, you know, that you can't you can't criticise. We used to go around the country, go to certain social clubs, rangers clubs, etc., and call these people out. Hold on. You're Orangeman. You're Apprentice Boys. You call yourself the UDA. What the fuck are you doing? You're supposed to be a paramilitary organisation. What are you doing? Oh, well, we're supplying, oh, we're supplying guns to the boys. Oh, so you're not going to use them then. You're going to give them to somebody else to use. And then when they get caught or when they get you know, they get killed, what are you going to do? Write a song about them? Sing about them? Why aren't you doing it? And that's how we, for want of a better way of putting it, that's how we came to the fore. That's how we came to the top.
2: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're
1: here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: So, for example, I went to a club one day, me and a mate. <clears throat> walked in and called these people out. We said, you're fucking frauds. You're standing in the bar giving it all the biggin." Got your badges on, you know.
2: Tattoos. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, of course, when we went to get in the car, they weren't happy, was they? So they all come out my banded, Well, one of us pulled a fucking, you know, nine mil brand automatic out of their overcoat and went, well, keep coming. You know, that's when people started to learn, hold on, these ain't fucking about. These boys ain't fucking about.
2: Not just old talk.
1: Yeah. You know, and I've got to say, at that time, I, I, there were no limits. There was no uh, limits, James. And, um... I look at me now, and people say to me now, I mean funny enough, we had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago talking about doing these talks, you know whether that' those talks or whether it's for um, schools, you know colleges, universities, or even corporate audiences. And someone said, "Oh yes, you, you know you could go out to schools and you could talk about you know gangs and gun crime and prison experiences. oh, and come to think of it to a certain degree, you yourself was radicalized. I laughed. I fucking burst out laughing. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? I said, who's going to believe that I that I was ever radicalised? If anything, I'm the one that done the radicalising. Mm-hmm. I put my hands up to that. I was. Yeah. And I've probably influenced a lot of my friends, mates, who stuck by me out of loyalty to me. I'm intrigued many of them stuck with me for the cause. I would say the majority of them stuck by me. So in that sense... I've radicalized people. Yeah, so
2: you weren't influenced in a way you knew exactly what you were doing, <sighs> and you put your hands up and admit it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, 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 without a doubt. Did a lot of people join the cause because they don't really care what the fuck's going on; they just want to fight. Is there certain people no, like I, that.
1: I can imagine. I can imagine some smart ass, you know, sociologist writing a book and go, "Oh, it's clear to me." Uh, Frank went to football fighting. Couldn't get enough fighting at the football. (laughs) I know, I'll join the right wing. We'll have fights at at, at meetings and demonstrations, you know, marches. Oh, fuck me, that's not enough for him. He wants to join the lawless paramilitaries now, have a bit more violence. I can imagine that. I Mm. can imagine that. I can... But that's not the truth. Yeah.
2: That's not the truth. It
1: wasn't a want for violence. It wasn't a mad bloodlust.
2: Did you ever have any hits out in your life as well, Frank? Did anybody ever try and take a pot shot at you?
1: Well, the irony is it was an internal thing. It, it would have been. It was an internal thing uh, I can look back on it now and realise we were me and another fellow was set up against each other uh, a fellow from Liverpool who I had a lot of time for and he was ex-army a lot of respect for him but one day out of the blue he turned up at my door and uh, I looked out the curtain he was standing and I thought fuck it had been, been a little bit of a dispute and he wasn't the sort of fellow that you'd muck about with so it was a mutual respect and uh, I had two doors and I opened the first door went to the front door, and as I got to the door, he put his hand inside his coat, and I thought, fuck this, he's capable. You you know, don't muck about here. Slammed the front door, slammed the second inner door, and I went to dive on the floor, and I thought, no, 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 no. He'll know to shoot down. He'll shoot through the door, downwards. So I went up against the wall. I had me back up against the wall, trying to make my way along, to get into the nearest door. And I heard a smash. And what it was, I lived in a big Georgian house at the time, and it was a basement. I had a bar, and I went down. I went into the room, and there was a window had been put one of the small panes had been put through, and there was a wooden mallet on the floor. And I thought, Are you fucking kidding me? You've come 200 miles to do me with a fucking wooden mallet? I felt insulted. I've rubbery shot me. <laughs> <laughs> and more to the point, I thought, well, I thought, how does that work out? When I come to the front door and I opened the door, surely you should have hit me over the head with a mallet and then told me what was what. So my respect went even further Dan. Anyway, he's, he's gone off. I'm absolutely fuming now. I've got in my car, gone round to a mate. We've picked something up. I said, I'm going to fucking shoot him. I'm not having this I've got to do him now. I've got to make a st- I've got to let the whole organisation know don't fuck about with us you know and I knew the shortcuts back to the M1 because I was convinced he'd come in his car got in the car drove up can't find him he'd got the train he'd got the train from Liverpool to Houston I just say I assume he'd come in his car so the next few weeks was one of me going up to Liverpool Manchester all different places, meeting up with people and saying, listen, I don't know where he is, but I want to see him. If he's in the right and I'm in the wrong, let's make a meet in Belfast. Tell him my name a day, I'll get on a plane, i meet him over there, we'll see who's right, who's wrong. He disappeared off the scene. Now, subsequently, I found out that there was somebody else who was very high up in that organisation, our organisation, and he was working for the state. And he'd sit, he knew how volatile I was and he knew how volatile the other fellow and he basically set us against each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that happened on numerous occasions. That actually happened on quite a few occasions.
2: Was it hard to trust as well at some states, Frank? That hit, yeah. Because yeah. obviously people getting set up and even informants as well.
1: If I go to your area, say I go to an area, you know, there were different brigades in different parts of Belfast, right? And it was an inner, an inner council. And it was funny, that was a table, a bigger table than this, but similar. So... If you're in charge of hundreds of men, I assume your men trust you. That's why they've voted you to be in your position. And you have the power of life and death. When you sit around that table, you've got the power of life and death. You can have somebody killed. And that's not necessarily the enemy. That's someone within your own circle. So it's a very you know, powerful position. Mm-hmm. So you assume, well, if this fellow's in, in charge of two, 300 people... He must be respected. He must be trusted. But what you've not taken into account is he's working for the state. He's working for Special Branch. He's working for the IUC or he's working for the army or he's working for millions. Cent- that doesn't dawn on you until the first time you experience it. Mm-hmm. And then you think, hold on, how, how, the, how the fuck does that work? And then you start working things out. Now, there was a case where. Somebody was killed in a pub, and they were a loyalist, alleged loyalist. They were thought to have been responsible providing the IRA with information for the for the for the murder of a, a car bomb of, of a very prominent loyalist, John McMichael, very respected man uh, on a, on a militant level and on a political level, very respected man, and. Uh, it was identified that it was this fella who was working in in the in, uh, in tandem with the IRA to, to carve up the building sites, you know, taxing the, the workers and who can work here and who can work Anyway, he was lured, he was lured to a pub and he was killed. On that night, two prominent commanders were sitting in my house in Kentish Town having dinner. I didn't know this. I didn't know. I was their alibi. Because there was an agreement that the top IRA people would say to the top UDA people, you don't touch for us and we won't touch for you. Well, that now the golden rule's just been broke, is not it? So these two needed an alibi. We were not in Belfast; who's was in London. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that. So you think, hold on, so you sit in my house, eating dinner, that my wife was prepared, and you haven't even got the decency to tell me that you're basically using me as an alibi for you, so you learn quickly, don't you? You learn mm-hmm. quickly. So then, what you do is you go along with it. You make out you're naive. You make out I'm a silly. I'm the silly fucking company, daft. Mate. I don't know. I don't know what's going on me. But then I didn't stop learning. I didn't stop watching people. I didn't mm-hmm. stop questioning every single thing that went on.
2: How does that affect you now, Frank? Mentally, with trust issues or any paranoia? No, not at
1: all. No, not at all. No, not at all. I, I, I'm pretty good at establishing who's um, mm-hmm. who's sincere, who's genuine, who, who's, uh, who, who's loyal in whatever you know, whatever walk of life. Not politics, just in general walk of life.
2: Mm-hmm. What about the people back home and uh, back home? But people in Belfast, the the who, what kind of people were you connected to there? We just spoke to this guy, Michael, Michael, Stone. Did you know him?
1: Yeah, I knew I knew Michael to talk to. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of time for Michael. He, when Michael did what he did in the cemetery, I think that um, I was disgusted—not with what he'd done. I was disgusted because a lot of people deserted him. They shied away from him. They said it. It, it basically hadn't been um, okayed, for want of a better way of putting it, because politics was going on, talks were going on. It upset the cat, you know, it upset the apple cart. And some people were trying to move away from that bulletin position. I get that. I get that. But he suddenly became the sacrificial lamb. But also, a lot of people knew that once he'd done that, there was going to be a big comeback, a massive comeback. So if you was one of the top boys, for want of a, for want of a better way of putting it, you must have been laying in your bed every night thinking, fuck this, the pro- are the probies coming through the door tonight? Tomorrow night? Next time I get in my car, is it going to blow up? A lot of people deserted him. A lot of people deserted him. Boy.
2: So was he told to do that? Was that?
1: Well, he must have got the weapons from somewhere, mustn't he? Mm-hmm. There must have been a degree of planning involved, and there must have been, a, you know, people that knew. But all of a sudden, people decided, and I didn't agree with that, and I certainly didn't decide him. That's for sure. And it was a period where I was, I, say I was alienated, but he didn't go down well. Um, but I, I met him when he came out. I met him when he came out of his first sentence. Um... You know, I've, I've been to the maze plenty of times to visit people. And any old Cranbourne Road, for that matter, as well. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's long gone there.
2: So if somebody's standing with a gun, whether it's Irish Republican or somebody from UDA and they're fighting, then you sit back. But because there's a lot of innocent people get killed in the crossfire as well, mm. both sides, how does that, how do you look at it that way then and think maybe that shouldn't have happened or do you just think I'm from this side and I don't care who gets killed from the other side?
1: I'll tell you what's too easy, right? I'll tell you what's too easy. I was, I was clearly caught with weapons, all right? What about the weapons I didn't get caught with? What happened to those weapons? What scenarios were those weapons used? It's easy for me to sit here and convince myself, well, those guns were for shooting IRA men. I don't give a fuck. You know, they showed that's what they was used for. If the police came to me today and said to me we've identified through modern forensics that one of the weapons that you supplied was to shoot an innocent Catholic who had five kids his wife had a nervous breakdown his mother died six weeks later I'm not going to feel good about myself am I? It's, it's, it's not the same is it? You think you're fighting a war, don't you? You think I'm only hurting the enemy. You don't, you don't think of the impact. So I, can't, I find it difficult to answer because that's not happened. That's not happened, has it? So I can be quite blase about it. I can think, but well, my conscience is clear. I'm not giving anyone any apologies, mm-hmm. but I've not done that, have I? What if the scenario was, I've not take, Well, I've not consciously taken someone's life God knows how I'd feel if I did. And I think that's the difficult one. I'd be intrigued to be sitting across the table with somebody that has and ask them. I mean, I've seen interviews, obviously. But I'd be intrigued how they sleep at night. Because I don't think they were born bad people.
2: Mm.
1: I think they were thrown into situations. I mean, there's one, there's one I think he was called, I um, can't think the fella's name there, but there was a documentary and he was he was in prison. Billy, Billy somebody. Moore. <laughs> No, no no Billy I can't think of his name and uh, it was a young man church goer good family uh, he was he was, a UV, he was a UVF volunteer and um, felt he had to defend his community and uh, went out and killed somebody he couldn't live with it and eventually he did kill himself yeah. he did kill himself so it's okay putting yourself in that position I mean look, look I make no bones about it. I'm going to leave here all right? I'm going to go to a pub People are going to shake my hand. People are going to buy me a drink. People are going to have a photo done with me. It means fuck all to me. It means nothing. It means absolutely... I know why they do it, but I'm past it. I'm past all that. Because the only people I actually landed up hurting was my own family. The only people I left vulnerable was my own family. Because they still live where I live. You know, you miss your kids' birthdays, Christmas, when they go from one school to the next school... The only people you've actually landed up hurting is your, the people you care about
2: the most. Did they know how deep you were involved, Frank, your family?
1: I think, my, I think my wife did to a certain degree. You can't win, can you? If you're a wife, if I say I'm going to Glasgow this week or I'm going to Belfast this week or wherever I'm going, and my wife said to my mother, oh, I don't know, he's off again. Like, oh, well, Lisa's his own man. You know he's his own man. You should let him do what he wants to do. Well, of course, when I got captured, <laughs> my mum turned on my wife and said, "Oh, you should have kept an eye on him." You know, you should have kept him indoors more. She blamed me. She uh, she blamed my wife. Oh, actually, right, apologized eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, my wife I, I met people. She did meet people. Uh, there was an occasion one Sunday morning, and it was on the radio, and my wife burst into tears. And I said, "What's the matter?" She went, your mate's just been killed in London, there. Well, she'd met his wife. So it became personal.
2: Yeah, fucks everyone up.
1: You know, it does, and you've got to look at it and say, hold on, look. Regret I mean, I remember when you asked I, I when you asked Johnny, you know, and he he, you know, do you have any regrets? You know, what would you say? And so on. And I agreed with his his uh his response. For him to turn around and say, I was wrong, well then every fella that he ever led, influenced, told they're gonna to do something, is he telling them they're wrong as well? That's difficult. That's difficult to say I'm wrong and therefore you're wrong. You're all wrong. Well, I'm not prepared to I'm not prepared to do that.
2: Yeah, and- I might
1: say I was wrong to lead you down that path, but you're still your own people to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult. It is difficult.
2: Because if you say you're wrong, go you might see it differently now, but if you say that, then everything you ever fought for from both sides, then it just goes to fuck basically.
1: Well, exactly. So if you come out listen, when I come out of prison, it was really difficult because there was talks about the peace process, there was talk about eventually there was talks about decommissioning, blah, blah, blah. For want of a better way of put it, my war weren't over. It wasn't over. So, excuse me, so when I came out um I'm I'm still I've got things in my head, you know and um I found it really difficult because I'm then going to talk to people who are saying, oh Frank we're having talks about this and we're doing talks about it. how do you feel about the peace process? Blah 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 Um I was still going to areas in Northern Ireland, in Belfast particularly but also London Derry. There, there weren't no peace. I'm being told on the television and the radio that there's peace. Well, not the areas I was going to, there weren't peace. Was that
2: after the good Friday Agreement? Yeah, end? there
1: were still petrol bombs being thrown. There were still communities being terrorised. There were still communities that couldn't walk to the end of the road to go and get a loaf of bread. So I thought, well, that's not what I'm seeing. That's not... And that fed my... That fed my militancy again, didn't it? There's my excuse again, isn't it? I've got to protect these people. Now, who is protecting these people? The RUC's not doing it. The army's not doing it. Our own British government's not doing it.
2: You've got to empower these people now to look after themselves. Was that in your mind, though, Frank, that you didn't want to give it up either because you've been so probably involved in it, probably f- with all this shit, explosives, guns, murders, crime, probably. You didn't realise that. Okay, this is over. What the fuck yeah. am I going to do?
1: Yeah, and and, and 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 there's a phrase for it, you know, or there's a word for it, you know. You would be described as a dinosaur. You know, you're you're living in the past. But by the same token, you're only going by what you see and what you're experiencing. Listen, we went over one weekend. There was about 30 of us. And we went to a place called Whitewell or White City. And we met a group of women. And we sat in a community centre. And they, they discussed how difficult it was to go from their community to go and get basic essentials and so on. And a woman described how she had to distinguish between whether it was a brick that was land. She, she lived in like a chalet type building, whether it was a brick that was hitting her roof or whether it was uh, a petrol bomb. Suddenly someone realized this woman was blind. Now if it's not scary enough when you've got your sight. Well, I'm telling you there was grown men making excuses to go to the toilet. They had tears in their eyes. Now, when men do that, when men let their emotions show, they don't like you, do they? So what do you do? You go to the other extreme. I can't be seen to be like this. I can't. You put your tough You put your tough head on there, didn't you? You think I've got to be a man now? I've got to fucking come back. I've got to. Su- we got to support this woman. And it was trying to do it that. How can we practically help this woman? Not by going down the road and shooting someone. That's not going to solve the problem, is it? So it did come about, you know, common sense did prevail. And when we realised that they couldn't go to the end of their road and get basic bread and milk, what we did was we had a function back in London and we paid for a container lorry, a container, not the lorry, just the container. And it got turned into a shop so that they could have the basic amenities on their own estate. So my brain started to go, hold on, there's another way of helping these people. You don't have to go down a road and fucking shoot somebody or blow something up. Let's concentrate on helping these people and empowering them and and, and getting them to form their own community support group. And that's the way I went. And I did, I got more involved in community politics.
2: Do you think the troubles that happened, 70s, 80s, 90s, do you think they'll ever go back to Ireland, Northern Ireland, where the conflict will start again?
1: I think one people haven't got, the, haven't got the, the taste for it. If you meet a 25-year-old now, full of bravado, <laughs> probably got a UDA, UVF t-shirt on, tattoos, got a badge, you think, fuck off, mate, I've been out of prison 25 years is year. Mm-hmm. You have not got a clue. You've, you have not got a clue to know what it's like to go and visit. You get, you get on a... I don't care how old you are, you get on a prison bus with women and kids... And the mums are fussing over the kids, you know. Come on, son, you have got to look your best, and you know. And, and they put their, their and they're acting like they're strong. These women, and they are strong women. And I've got more respect for some of the women than the blokes. Yeah. You see them when they come out after they visited their dad. Them kids. If you sit there and you tell me you have not got a tear in your eye, you ain't human. You're not human. That they've been to see their dad. You know the woman's tried to look her best. She's done her hair up. She's got her nice clothes on. And then they come back, they get drops up, and fucking reality drops in, doesn't it? Hmm.
2: They
1: ain't going to see their dad again for another two weeks.
2: See, when you got your big sentence, Frank, for the guns, what was your head like then? What was you, what were you going through?
1: My first thought was guilt that I'd left my family vulnerable. That was the, that was it, more than anything else. Nothing to do with the sentence, what I might get. The conditions, the cat conditions which were absolute fucking prehistoric, not prehistoric, medieval you know, it was terrible. It was no I'm not I'm not gonna um I'm not gonna dress it up. I'm not gonna come across the yard, man, and go, oh, I'm alright. I got through it, I was okay. No, I'm telling you, you live like a fucking dog, you know. And um But at the end but at the end of the day, it was the family, it was the not the regret of what of what I'd done. I mean, I was looking at a ten to fourteen year sentence. That was that's what I was told, ten to fourteen years. Right? And um when I could finally make a phone call and take it into account the phone's on the wall but sitting round the corner there's a bloke with a t- watching the tape game round and he's got the earphones on you say anything out of place you cut off you won't be able to phone that person again um, and I, and the I, first time I got to speak to my wife before I even got to have a visit and I said listen babe I'm not a 10 to 14 years here you know I, I don't expect you to be hanging about and she I didn't mean it obviously
2: just to see her reaction, right.
1: yeah. I was waiting for her to say, "We'll see you later." You know? <laughs> yeah, it's so all right. I found out where your insurance books are, and I sold the car. Yeah. You know, no. And, and, and this uh, at the end of it, this screw came running out, and he went, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I said, "What do you mean, mate?" He said, "There's a woman there that clearly loves you, and you are basically telling her to fuck off." I went, "No." He said, "Listen, how many times do you think I've heard this conversation?" And I appreciated what he said. But I was looking at, so at the 10 to 14, and um, it, when it came down to it, if I'd have got eight in my brain, I thought, oh, you know, if I got on my mind, if I got eight, I'll take that on the chin, you know, four, get out. One Cody walked after about five and a half weeks because they couldn't prove what was in the bag. And I said to him, if you keep saying you don't know what's in that bag, they can't prove you did. So he walked. The other fella from Bell, but I swear he was a dip and kettle of fish Um he could have got off. If he'd have said, if he'd have carried on not guilty, he didn't know what was in the bag. I can't see how they could have proved he knew it was in the bag. The only was he got caught with the bag. So on the day of going up for sent, i I'd gone guilty. I, listen, I couldn't wait to go Did guilty. Did you take the deal? I couldn't wait to go guilty because I was more worried about, fuck, what else are they going to come up with? What other charges are they going to come up with? Let's just get this out of the way. So he was meant to go Not guilty. On the day, they convinced him to change the plea. But they, I didn't notice till afterwards how much they'd done the deal with. So when we go up, it's straightforward sentencing. It's not a trial. And uh, the, the prosecution basically made it clear there was law students and the press were there. Made it clear that I was the bad boy. I was the instigator. And he said, uh, the judge said, you're looking down both barrels of a double-figured sentence. I thought, fuck that, that's ten to start off with. That's the eight gone out the window. (laughs) You know? And And, uh, (laughs) anyway, um, he calls him up, he shouts his name out, and he basically said to him, I'll sentence you to five years. And I thought, fuck me, we've done nine months... On remand, that counts as eighteen months. He's only got six months to do. Then the court went really quiet. Oh fuck! And he said, uh, "I sentence you to five years." So I just stood there, and one of the screws went to pull my arm, as it would say, "Come and what you know." I mean, we fucking doing? It means give you five years. went, and a fucking rest. Hmm. But the judge got up. Me mates were in the dock, they put their thumb up like this and, you know. I thought, well, five years? You're kidding me. When I go downstairs, I pass his barrister, the other fella's barrister, and he said to me, you are a very lucky man. I said, how the fuck do you work that out? I've still got to keep it going, and I? I went, how would you work that out, mate? So I'm going to fucking prison before. I- he went, you know what I mean. So I knew he told him everything, right? Going to a room, it's my barrister and his junior. Both got a bit of paper each. One turns his bit of paper over, got 10 written on it. One's got 12. So I said, how do, I said well, how the fuck have I got five? What it boiled down to is, this is why, the, this is why the, uh, the judge said certain things to the law students. He cannot give you a disproportionate sentence. So if he's give him two and a half, he's giving me twice as much as him, isn't he? So I could appeal that. If he'd give me any more than that, my people could have gone and appealed and said, hold on, that's a disproportionate sentence. I didn't know that at the time. I'm not a mm-hmm. legal person. Mm-hmm. But that's what the barrister explained to me.
2: Because you were in with Charlie Bronson? Yeah, Charlie. Yeah, what Bronson. was Charlie like? I loved him. I absolutely loved him.
1: Which is easy to say because some people say that and they never even met the man. Mm-hmm. I, and I you know, I get that. But he was, the fir- he was the first prisoner that I met. He was on a mm-hmm. cat a yard. And he was the first one I met. I came down on the yard and you know, he introduced himself and, he was he was wearing a um, bib and brace and ob-nail boots and.
2: Is yeah. he a big guy? Is he strong?
1: Uh, he, he's not particularly tall, but he's very fit. He's you know he was very you could see that. I mean, he was marching round the thing, and he you know he used to have a, um, a medicine ball you know in his in his cell and. He, listen, he he made me feel welcome. That was that was the main thing. Mm-hmm. He made me feel welcome.
2: What was your night like? Because I know you gave me something here. He says. Um your first night in the awkward first evening in the working wing. What was that? Oh
1: damn, yeah. we uh we had been banged up for nine months. So once you get convicted, you go over to the, onto the working wing. So you're you're now amongst the you know the main population of the prison. And if you're a cockney, you don't know that's going to go down, do you? You're in Birmingham, you know what I mean. So past football things, you think you know what's the fucking odds? Mm-hmm. Of bumping into someone and you've had it at you know, when you've played West Brom or Birmingham or Villa or whatever. Anyway, so we're in a cell, six o'clock comes, and we've got association. Well, we weren't getting association for the first six months of on Cat A. So he says to me, Mark the, What are you doing? You're going out on association. And I said, Fucking too right I am after being banged up all them months. Come out, walk down these stairs. 30 people sitting there watching the television news comes on we're coming down the stairs two men are being convicted today blah 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 connection with whatever this bloke turns round, looks up we're coming down the stairs he looks up doesn't he looks back at the telly thought <laughs> oh, fucking great so as we're coming down the steps I thought we've got to get this out of the way haven't we so I get to the pot on the stairs I go alright fellas I said my name's Frank this is Jim. I said, you just seen us on the telly. Anyone got a problem with that? This fucking black geezer stood up. Like a monster. Was, he got bigger. You know when someone gets fucking bigger? And I thought, you fucking big mouth. You fucking big mouth. And all of a sudden he went, thank fuck with that. He went, another cockney. I'm sick of all these brummy cunts. I thought, what a touch. <laughs> what an absolute <laughs> touch. <laughs> and he introduced me to his mate. They, they mm-hmm. got dumped for a shed load of a warehouse full of puff. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, son," he said. "I'll get you down the gym and all that. Each time you want to go down, the gym. oh fucking that could have gone wrong. That could have gone wrong. <laughs> what know? was the thing you says?
2: I wouldn't have associated with a nonce. He was a rapist. What was that?
1: Yeah, when we was on the, when we was on associate uh, when we was on the cat A wing. What they, I'll, I'll explain the cat A wing. What they did was they had eight uh, sorry sixteen cells, and um, only eight cells were ever used at one time, and. You didn't know when it was going to happen. It could be a day, a week. They used to move you from one cell to the other, and the idea was to stop you escaping, making plans. That's why you was on K. K is basically if you know people who've got the means or the influence to to be part of a conspiracy to free you. Um, that's why you're K. You know, is to stop that. And so the idea was. They moved you about so many days so you couldn't plan so you couldn't say to someone oh listen i'm
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm in this cell or whatever so they used to move they used to move you about and the first six months we had no association at all none at all you couldn't tell me you met someone else was on the yard and that would only be two or three at a time four maybe um you, you didn't have no church no uh county, no gym your food was brought to your door you might be lucky to have one shower a week um and all of a sudden the law changed and uh, we were now got told we was going to have association we were told four people would come out they put a pool table on the wing four would come out in the afternoon four would come out in the evening so I come out in the afternoon one of my codies has already gone home now walk out there's a black fella standing near the pool table talking to the screws and I thought oh he's not even cat A he wasn't even a cut A prisoner and I thought, what the fuck? I've realised he's a fella who some of the other inmates on the working wing was talking about. He, he was in for rape. So I've come out, he's standing there, and I said to the other fellas, get back behind your door. I went, what, what? I went, get back behind your fucking door. I said, I ain't doing my association with a fucking dirty rapist. Went back in, oh, five, ten minutes later, all the heavy mobs turned up, all the black boiler suits and all that come in. Come in, fucking knocking me about. Took me to the. Oh, I'm sure it was the governor or the wing governor, and they said he, he said something like, uh, you know, I won't have you telling my staff what they can and cannot do. I said, hold on, I've not told your staff what they can and cannot do. I told them what I'm not going to do. I'm not having my association with a fucking dirty rapist. Anyway, he, he let me off that. I didn't get any you know injunctions or or anything like that. And eventually, he was moved. He, he should have been da- well he was, he was he was cleaning the wing and they just happened to let him da- leave him down there on that occasion mm.
2: but um, why did they call you Frank the
1: Baptist and the Jew <laughs> well when I moved I eventually got sentenced and I got moved to um, Swellside which is on Yard of Chetby. this is one of these scenarios where I didn't want to mention it in the book I didn't really want to mention because I know my wife's going to read the book isn't she you don't want your wife and everything about you, all the dark, mm-hmm. you know, the dark side. And what happened was when I got there, uh, I don't smoke. So you're allowed to have uh, two and a half ounces of Old Urban Tobacco. So that's five packs of these of this tobacco. So the plan is if you cut it in half, you take the end off and you, put, you seal it back up again and you sell it. So half ounce, you get an ounce back. No one wants to do that, because one, they want to smoke their own cigarettes, and a lot of them want to have a bit of puff for the evening. That's their last thing of the evening. They want to have a bit of puff, set them down for the night. So I, so there was me with, with this. So I'd say, well, pay me back with phone cards or cash. Cash used to mean that they passed the cash out to pay for the drugs that were coming in. So if you, had, if you had these three things, or four, because well, you had phone cards... Which if you had, say for example, they was two pound each of phone card. If you had seven phone cards, that's only fourteen pounds worth. But you get a twenty pound note for them phone cards because the phone cards were important. The phone out to get your drugs in on a visit. Everything was important, whether it's the tobacco, phone cards, or the cash. And I had plenty of it, plenty of it. I was uh, I was buying uh, stereos up with people. The Skag Edge used to come in. They told their mum or their guilt when I've got to have a music system. there's a lot of money. People would give them a tenner. And I think, fuck, I'll give them 30. But then somebody who come in who didn't have a music centre, I'd say it's them for 60 or, or however much, you know. It's a long... I mean, I'm going back a while. It's hard to remember. So you were
2: hustling in yeah, those yeah. days as well? And it was trainers, mm-hmm. budgie cages. Jewelry.
1: Everything, jewelry, yeah. Well, do you know what? This is the first time I've not had the chain... I broke it the other week, the chain. I've had it all... 20-odd years I've had this chain. And I actually broke... I caught it on a towel the other week when I got out of the shower. And... um, So you became vital on the wing. People would come to you for what they needed. And in all fairness of screws, a lot of screws knew what I was doing. The stipulation was no drugs. As long as you don't do drugs, Frank, we kind of let you get on with what you're doing. So fine. So... On this particular occasion... 10 to 8, 5 to 8, about to, about to bang up. These two black fellas come. They come to rob me, you know. they? are going to rob me. I've just been to get a jug of boiling hot water out the urn. Most people do that. You have your cup of tea of an evening, you know, and coffee, whatever. So there's no intent here. You know, there's no planning of this. They've come but I thought, you know, going to push through the fucking... I've got the thing in my hand on. My natural instinct was you ain't... Fu- I, I mean, I'm assuming they've got knives on them. You know, because I'm not, not going to hand it over, am I? So I'm assuming they must be talked up. So I've just launched it at them. Just launched this fucking water over them. They ran off fucking screaming. And, uh, you know, people will tell you about putting sugar in it and it's like nap arm, it sticks. Yeah. That's not what I was doing. This was just instinct. This was, they're going to hurt me. They're going to rub me. I threw the water. Screw's come up. What's happening, Frank? What's that? I've got a little drop left in it. I said, fuck me, Gab. I said oh said they bumped into me, tripped up. I said, I've only he, he laughed, didn't he? <laughs> he said, you expect me to believe that. Well of course that started the reputation, because I thought, you know what? You can't get Nick rubbing hot water. You can't get Nick rubbing water. You can get Nick if you throw over someone and burn them, but possession of water oh, oh, is uh-huh. not an offence. So all these people going around making, you know, tools and, you know, carrying knives, which they can get Nick for. I thought I don't need that do I once people know that if you come near me I'm going to throw a jug of hot water over you, you're going to leave me alone aren't you mm-hmm. and, and that's how it started and one day I used to go to church with a with an old black boy and uh, was coming back one day and he went to me Frankie he said you'll carry on like this he said they're going to call you Frank the Baptist <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's how it started, started. And, that's, and that's how no. it started you know how did
2: how were you feeling to write the book Frank how was that for you to put a lot of stuff into this book that maybe that you didn't want people to see, or to yeah, blame. that's that is do you that's know what I mean? the, yeah, because
1: you you know because you're you're stripping yourself back, you're you? vulnerable you're, you're, in that, aren't you? You're, you're stripping yourself yeah. back, and you're you're telling people, and, and as I say, some people respect you for it, and other people go, "Are you sure what you're doing that for?" Other people are going to hate you, which I understand, I, I get that, but as I say, mates had said to me, you know, if you don't do it, Frank, all our history. And it is a bit of social and political history. It tells a story of where I grew up, what it was like, my personal relationships with people, um, how I got to where I got to, for good or bad.
2: Um, you talk about media conspiracies in that as well. Oh, oh. what kind of conspiracies?
1: Well, clearly the media. The, you know, when you when you go on the internet, right and. You suddenly come across your name, <laughs> and you think, and all of a sudden, it's got uh, what's his name? He does uh, he does cookery. This fella, Jay, he's a journalist, but he's Rayner, Jay Rayner. Now his mum is obviously famous, Claire Rayner. So all of a sudden, you see your name associated with Jay Rayner, and you think, how the fuck's that come about? He's written a book. He's mentioned me in his book because when he was doing some sort of journalism, he met someone. There was an investigation going on, and my name came up. And this is what happens: your name suddenly, and you become part of these stories. And you think, "Hold on, that never happened." And I've been mentioned in books. There's a the history of the UDA, right? It's written by um, a fellow called Emery MacDonald, and a fellow called Jim Cusack, right? Journalist. They got the sentence wrong. They got my name wrong. They called me James, ironically. (laughs) Good name. (laughs) And, um, you could be my (laughs) co-conspirator. I've got my ideas Ah, for James. Where did (laughs) I And, And, um, they, they said I'd previously had a conviction for drugs. Where the fuck did they get that from? Mm. So, the trouble is, once it goes into print, other people use it as a reference point. Yeah, it's there forever. So they'll quote that. Mm-hmm. So if, it's, if they write a book or an article, they will quote mm-hmm. that I've got a conviction uh, for drugs.
2: Drug dealer. They won't flat, go and yeah, yeah. ask
1: me. They won't check with the authorities to see if that's real. No, mm-hmm. they'll just... It just gets regurgitated. Yeah. And and you very quickly learn Now there was a four-page article in the Mail on Sunday magazine all about me they've got pictures of the guns right seven guns on the floor uh, of the car park where did they get that from they've got a picture of me in a white cut a paper suit where do they get that from they've got a picture of my house where they took a rifle and put it on the floor of the bar in my house and said that was my office where I work. You've got no, no comeback, have you? Mm-hmm. you got no right to apply. Because you're a banged up. you got nothing. They, they made a program. They've done a reenactment of the arrest. You've got no right of appeal. You've got nothing. You can't mm-hmm. say nothing. Yeah. So everyone that looks at it just says, oh, that must be the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my That must be the truth. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I wrote in the book. Mm-hmm. That's why I wrote and it turned out... So that that, to
2: get your own story out the yeah, truth and yeah. a lot of so things. So a
1: journalist... So friends of mine got in touch with a journalist and basically said, we put it to you that you've written the version that Special Branch want in return for you to get the exclusive photos. And a bloke admitted it. He said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea was, was to alienate me. It's to make my friends, associates go whew, keep away from him but it didn't work uh-huh. it didn't work in fact if anything it blew up in their face uh-huh. and, that, and that's what I explained in the book
2: so going forward for the future Frank I know you're trying to do talks and stuff now mm. tell your story even more mm. what do you see yourself doing then
1: yeah very much that very uh, much that I've I, I said it I wasted my education years ago for good reason because I went to go out and look after myself and my family um, and I, I've had small incidents where I've had opportunities in prison. I um, I took uh, courses in British Institute of Cleaning Science. Uh, I took assessor's, cor- an assessors' course. I can train people. I did go into that world up when I came out. I did um, I did st- get part of a, a, a partnership with a fellow in a cleaning company. Um, he wasn't as dedicated to me as unfortunately. Uh, I was offered money when I came out by a special branch on more than one occasion to shut my own business. Um, uh, there was also a time when I actually came round the house and offered me money to work from and buy weapons as long as the weapons didn't get into the hands of people who might use them because then that's made people look at me and go, oh, Frank's back on the scene. You know, Frank's back at the top. Look, he's buying guns. He's still, you know, mm-hmm. they soon got told to fucking go that was simple as that get rid of them Um, so I've not used my opportunities I've not used I've had you know I've not used the best of the teachers that I've had in life Uh, in the last 18 months I've met some good teachers um, and I'm listening to them very much I listen to your podcasts I listen to the things you say I listen to the people that your guests say Uh, I listen to what Sean does I've, I've made a very good friend with someone who's very influential in the speaking world he's acting as my mentor he's introduced me um, to a group of people who are either professional speakers or trying to become professional speakers so that's so I'm just going to explore now looking at um, going into schools colleges universities um, Basically, you know, trying to deter people from getting into a similar situation mm-hmm. or at least putting themselves in a position to make their choices. Yeah. Think it through before they do it.
2: Which is know? a good thing, Frank, to, yeah. to try and make yeah. better changes. In- and,
1: and I believe I've got, I've got enough experience, prison life, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, whatever people's perception. know it's changed now. You know, the conditions now would not have been as bad as, you know, 1993. I appreciate that. Um, but equally, there's a market for corporate speaking as well and it's it's all about getting your scripts right to fit those various scenarios and that's what i'm currently working on Mm -hmm. i'm currently working on preparing those scripts so that so that they can be delivered to whichever audience i Mm -hmm. I find myself in and and i've started writing the second book to finish the story off when's that coming out I'd like to think by the end of this year, I'd, 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 I'd be disappointed if I didn't do it. For one of a better way of putting it, and it's not for financial reasons, the Christmas market, if you mm-hmm. like. Sean's helping me with that. Uh, Sean rebranded the old book uh, via his, his, his own publishing company. He'd been very helpful forward. I appreciate that. Um, the book's worked out well. I, I gave that book, sent that book out to four different people. All four people have been very helpful, including yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's just four books, four people I've had positive responses with. So I'm going to write the second book to finish that chapter up, if you like that chapter of my life.
2: Final chapters.
1: I do enjoy writing. Always mm-hmm. enjoyed writing. So I do want to start writing a novel of some sorts and using my experiences.
2: Fictional. Yeah. Facts. Yeah, yeah. and
1: just change you know the characters, the names mm-hmm. of the characters. But, but, but certainly draw on the past. I, I do want to do that. That's for my own personal satisfaction because I feel I've got that
2: in me. Do you think that's a wee bit of therapy as well, Frank, to maybe just get it out there instead the of bottling all?
1: It's frustration. No, that's what it is. It's frustration. It's frustration of hearing my wife say, for the last 40 odd years, you've wasted your life because she's known me since I was 15, knows me inside out, and has always had faith in me. So I, I wanna do it for her. I I, I wanna say all the things you've said to me for forty odd years, you know, why are you doing this, why are you committed so much to that? Why are you not doing what you're you know, what you're more than capable of doing? You've done it for everybody else, and that's that's half the problem. Yeah.
2: Do you think if it wasn't for your wife Frank, you'd probably be dead or doing life? Yeah, but, uh, because you've spoke quite a lot about her. Without a doubt. Um, you can see that's where... With, I, with, without a doubt. Is
1: you, the, I, I call her my guardian angel, is the, and there's no doubt about it. Even when I was 15, she was my guardian angel because my family was going out with a sorry time, mental health problems and so on. And you, you're immature. You don't understand. So when you, someone says, maybe you need to go and talk to a doctor, you go, fuck, all right, mad. You're basically calling your own mum and dad mad. Mm-hmm. But you don't know, do you? You're immature. Yeah. You don't understand. We're all mad. And because I always mixed with older company always in older men's company, I'm like, I'm all right. I'm one Mm -hmm. of the boys, you know, what do I want to go and see a fucking doctor for? Looking back on it, I probably did. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking probably did. I probably still do. (laughs) But the thing is, she was, she got me through that difficult, and again, when I went away, you know, I, I always say to people, no disrespect to any of my mates, and I've got some good mates, I say to them, don't take this the wrong way. You see her, she's a fucking better soldier than you'll ever be. Yeah. You know,
2: she would need to be, but put up with your shit as well, especially through all the tough times, as you just says. Yeah,
1: oh, without a doubt, oh, without a doubt, and uh, because that know, could you,
2: push you, a lot of people over you know the edge. They,
1: you know what they say about you know women and their children. You know they're like lionesses. You mm-hmm. go near their kids, you know, you're in trouble. And um, I've been very lucky because she adopts that same attitude with me. Mm-hmm. If you're loyal to me, she'll be your best friend. Yeah. If you be disloyal to me. She, Fucking nature, <laughs> absolutely nature. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So now I've got some good. I've got. I've got. um Probably the first time. You know. In well, fucking sixty years now, I suppose. I kind of know where I'm going. I've I've got a goal, and if I can turn that addictive nature mm-hmm. into a into a positive thing, then I, you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quite confident that yeah.
2: things are going to be good. But that's the beauty of life, Frank. No matter how fucked up your past is no matter what you've been involved in Mm. you're still here to tell the tale as long as you can utilise that to help you become a better Mm. person and help others become better people then I believe I don't care who you are what your past is I'll speak to anybody and it's Mm. quite clearly that I'll not pass judgement am not we all make mistakes, mm. we all do bad shit no matter what it is but as long as you can learn from it, grow yeah. from it and make changes then I take my heart off to anybody that does that so well, while, you,
1: know, while we, while, you know, While we're across the table with each other you know, rather than emails and phone mm-hmm. calls or, or whatever, I'll, I'll say respect to you as well because I, as I say I've watched every podcast that you've done and, and, and I'll take a lot from it. I can assure you I'll take a lot from it and, and, I, and, I, and I'll take a lot from the guests that you have on it and you've had some really brave people. Mm-hmm. This is this sitting here to me is, is this isn't brave to me. But some of the people who sat across from you, I cannot believe how, how brave they are to sit and you know, yeah. talk talk to people. I mean, I've, look, I've stood on a stage before now, I've had 12, 15, every armed men standing behind me in front of an audience, you know, 200 and 300, 300 people who been drinking all night, going mad, dancing on top of the fucking tables, <laughs> singing their art out to simply the best. <laughs> right? I'm telling you now, that's intoxicating. Mm. That's power. You know, you, I'm not going to deny that. You know, you, you can, your, your own mates are sitting there going with their fucking mouths open thinking, fuck this. He's even more powerful than what i realised. But it's how you use it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's how responsibly you use that influence because yeah. you have got the power of life and death over people Definitely. that's a big responsibility yeah. and I'd like to think I never abused it
2: mm-hmm.
1: and now as I say I'd, I'd like to think that there's enough people I know that that still respect me and I'm, st- and I'm kind of saying to them listen fellas and a lot of them do say it to me it's my time now you know help me now it's your turn to help me and let me get to where I want to go I won't leave you I won't desert you but I need to do this for me. I need, to, I, need to get, mm-hmm. I need to be able to turn around to my grandkids and turn around and say, you know, your old granddaddy weren't as fucking thick as you thought he was.
2: Can you get let go though when you go so far deep where people go, you've served your time, you've done what you had to do, go and do it with your thing. But if they ever you ever get that call again, do you need to be there, Frank? I'm going
1: to say, get, I don't get stopped so much now. I was getting stopped, even family holidays coming back from roads, uh, Bruges, different places. It stopped there because I got in touch with the Home Office, you know, the Border Agency. I don't get pulled the same now. I don't mind getting pulled coming here or going to so I kind of see that as, you know, part and parcel of what's gone on. But but at the end of the day, it's just a difficult one because I haven't changed. I had this discussion on the train with my mate. I haven't changed, Sean. I, I, Sean, beg your pardon, yeah. Sean, Sorry. <laughs> All these interviews are look, at, I look the same to me. No, I, I haven't changed. Mm-hmm. What's happened is circumstances have changed. So when when, I, when I'd when i be questioned and they'd ask me about, oh, what would you think of this? What about that? Blah, blah, blah. I go, listen, I haven't changed. All you want to worry about is that the circumstances have changed. And I will support those circumstances. So... There's peace. I'm glad there's peace. I want there to be peace. I want people to learn to live together. And the younger generation are learning to do it much more now. Appreciate what you've got in common rather than what divides you. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's have, none of it. let's have no more funerals. Let's have no more going to visit people in prisons. It's horrible. It, 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 is, it is not nice. But no, I, I haven't changed. I know I haven't. Because... I, it's like the football, isn't it? I haven't changed. It.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm still a football hooligan. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. an old football hooligan and it mm-hmm. wouldn't be appropriate now to go and fight at a football match. But I know, if I'm walking up the road with up a dozen mates and there's up a dozen geezers the other side of the road, it only takes one of them to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You're going to yeah. resort to what you walking know. Here. So do you know the best thing to do? Don't go to football. football. Yeah. Just don't go. And, 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 don't and, put
2: yourself in that position. Yeah, don't,
1: don't Because... Because you're almost admitting, well, you're old, aren't you now? Hmm. (laughs) You're almost saying I'm old. You know, I haven't got the bottle anymore. And you don't want to admit that. But what I've done instead is I've got a new path. You know, I I know where I want to get to. Mm -hmm. And uh, I won't be happy until I achieve it. I genuinely will not be happy. And if I can help other people along the way, and if I can tell my story, and I'd, I'd like to think that there are people, there are journalists, good journalists, there's someone I know recently who's just who's just won um, a place in universities. We're going to be paid to do it, and he's actually going to be doing a study in, a study on loyalism. He's a young kid. What what does he know? Mm-hmm. What's he going to do? He's going to go on Google, what he? <laughs> Drug dealer. <laughs> he's going to phone me up, Frank. You can't sort me out, of hands, can you? I'm going to go. What the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. See, whereas well, what I've done is I've emailed him and I've said to him. If you need any help, mm-hmm. you know, or advice, or information, it would my account will be an accurate account. Mm-hmm. So that's why I put on my business card, you know, author, speaker, consultant. Mm-hmm. Get in touch with me, and I'll tell you. How oh, can you the people roof. get
2: in touch with you, Frank? For people who's maybe watching, maybe want to well, ask you questions, or
1: it will give you this.
2: Yeah, we can put it up. Yeah, with, it, it, it,
1: will, it will give you this. This is this is basically my. Um, my website. Um, it's got my phone number on here, so I dare say people give me loads of dog's abuse as well. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not mention the phone number, just the website.
2: <laughs> no. We'll put the, <laughs> yeah. We'll take the phone number out. and We'll put um, us in the description or whatever people who maybe want you to do talks or Maybe yeah. somebody's want information from you. But
1: well, like I say, you know, not everything has to be. Not everything has to be at a cost. If someone sends me an email and they ask me a question. And if I think I can give an, you know, an open and honest answer, if it helps them in whatever mm-hmm. they're trying to yeah. to do or achieve, yeah. then fair enough. Because because I would I would also get a degree mm-hmm. of of uh, satisfaction out of that as well.
2: Yeah,
1: and not least it one, that was the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, Frank, listen, mate. We don't have any you. of these cuddles that he does, yeah. that good <laughs> fella, Sean. Because he <laughs> no. scared the life out of me the first time.
2: Frank, for coming on today and lovely. telling your story, I appreciate that. God bless. Good luck for the future. Lovely. God bless you. Um, Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you. You can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel. The link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe. You can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is. Follow me on Facebook at James English 11, Twitter James 0, Instagram James English 2. You can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. 18 plus.